Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, this is Jennifer Hedger, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. First off, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. You will actually be our first guest in 2021, so uh, no pressure. No, I mean, we're going to start, we're going to start this year off with a bang. Yeah, I, I was hoping so. Now, the first thing I want to get into, of course, I've watched you on TSN for, for years and, you know, I really like how you can be serious, but at the same time you can have your fun moments like on overdrive. And this is mm-hmm. the kind of thing that I love was in a pandemic here now when we're doing overdrive, we're all at home, but I like how in your case, it just went south real fast. <laughs> yeah, it was like as far as like going from from all of the sports, just everything shutting down in our whole basically everything we do, just getting a stop sign on it. Is that what you mean? Yeah, like what I was getting into there was just when you were on overdrive, because this is the, the moment that, uh, again, that I was like, oh, I'm going to have Ron to talk about this and of course her career. But when uh, Ray Ferraro is doing his hit, and then your dog oh. starts barking in the background yes. and uh, yes. instantly it's like, you know, true professionalism. Like some people will go right, like power through it. This was the second time. And then Ray's like, whose dog is barking? Whose dog and, is barking? Uh, I like how Noodles very calmly relaxed goes, oh, I thought that was you. And I'm like, he's in a bubble. Why would there be a dog in a <laughs> yeah. bubble? And no, then- Brian, that was, that was my dog. And, <laughs> and that was a, a funny show because when you're when you're broadcasting from home you know everybody's got a different setup some people are are in a you know a one-bedroom apartment some people are in palatial homes some people have kids some people have dogs so I have a son who's nine and a husband and a dog and it's always kind of a guess as to where where's mom going to broadcast from today because if I'm in the basement that means I'm taking over the whole video game area, right? Which is not, which is not the favorite spot of my, it's not my, cool. you know, my not son cool. wants that area. So I kind of got booted up to the main floor that day, which I thought was going to work great because my son could be in the basement playing video games the whole time. But the first issue, and it all goes back to the dog, but the first issue was it was Christmas time. So the Christmas tree was up. And we have, for some unknown reason, a pickle on our Christmas tree that is motion censored that when you walk by it, it starts yodeling. And apparently this is like a Ukrainian thing, Brian. I'm not sure. I'm not Ukrainian. (laughs) My husband's family is. So the yodeling pickle is a thing. And it never goes off except when I'm hosting a live national radio show. Dog walks by the Christmas tree. There goes the pickle. It starts yodeling. Now that didn't that wasn't as egregious as what happened the hour later when the dog actually starts barking because he wants to go downstairs and join the video game where situation down there and he's stuck up up top with me. Now, the thing that you I think that the the natural thing for people is to not want to address it. It's like maybe yeah. nobody will notice my dog just barked or if you're on stage 
backstage and maybe nobody will notice my wig just fell off and we'll just <laughs> we'll just pretend it didn't happen but the thing to actually do is address it and thank god ray did address it because then we could all talk about it we could all say yeah that's hedge's dog the dog needs to be fed the kids playing Fortnite, and just sort of i think it's one of those human moments that brings us all together in that we're all just trying to do the best we can but really we have no control over what's going on. I liked how you just interacted with it though, in, in terms of like, you know, like you said, there are occasions and I'll bring it back to, I think it was like in 2019, the clip that was famous was where the guy's doing a live hit interview and his child walks in and yes, walks in yes. like full blaze, like, oh, dad's on a call. And then I think it's, yeah, yeah. his wife has to try to drag the kid out. And, I, and I'm like, okay, that's him being like, I don't want any part of this. I'm not even going to address it, but you don't mm -hmm. even see the dog in your hit. But I just love how <laughs> when you come back on, instead of going like, that's my dog. Okay, let's move on. Like, geez, way to mention my dog. Cause I know with O-Dog, when they mention about his cat, he gets very affected. Yeah. So I thought it was <laughs> hilarious that you took the other approach and you were like, I'm just waiting for the sirens to come. Like, I'm just waiting. Yeah. For and I was like, at least she's walking into the curve rather than the curve coming right around and hitting her in the behind again. Exactly. Well, and here's the thing, Brian, like, do you, do you have a dog? Are you a dog? I had, dog? Yeah, I have two dogs. Like when okay. I'm on the phone sometimes doing these interviews and they're in another room upstairs, someone will say, do you have a dog? Or like, can I hear the dog? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'll tell them to stop. <laughs> See, I was never, I, I never had a dog until a year ago. I was never a dog person, never really wanted a dog, never really got the whole dog thing. I'd see people at dog parks standing around watching their dogs sniff other dogs bums. And I just didn't get what, what the allure was to the, having these filthy animals living in your homes with you. And some people even let them sleep on their beds. And I was like, this, what is it about this? These people are nuts. And so of course, a year ago, our son's been asking for a dog, asking for a dog. And we we're like, well, I guess it's time to bite the bullet here. And now that we have this dog, I can't believe it's taken me this long to have a dog. I love this dog more than I love members of my family sometimes. I, this dog, I walk it. I talk to her. I tell her my deepest secrets. Uh, she's the first person I see in the morning. She's the only one up at home when I get home from sports center at one o'clock in the morning and she's waiting for me. I feel like there's this whole universe out there that I was, I was very much felt like I would never be a part of, nor would I want to be a part of the dog world. And now I, I just feel I'm so late to the party, but I'm still, I'm so glad that I finally, finally figured it out because this dog is the center of my pandemic life right now. Now, the, the only biggest fear I have with that now is that as a kid, always wanting a dog, I thought it'd be cool because I, I watched like, I think it was like dogs, all dogs go to heaven and you see like right. shows that have talking dogs. So like, wouldn't it be something though, one day if you came home from sports center and you knew you're, you, you, this would be <laughs> the sign that, okay, I'm a little bit out of it when you confess something to your dog and it's like, yeah, totally feel you on that one, Jen. And like, oh. <laughs> Just, yeah, I would have to reassess things and make sure that. <laughs> that my water bottle on sports center that night was really water and not something else. But uh, yeah, I, although, you know what I do say to uh, my dog sometimes, I don't know if you're, I'm a huge fan of Anchorman, the movie Anchorman. Yeah. yeah. And when Ron Burgundy goes back to his, 
home or whatever and he talks to his dog Baxter and he says oh Baxter you really cut to the core I say <laughs> that to my dog all the time <laughs> I like my my one that I use with the Will Ferrell and I mean my dogs just look at me like they give you the eye roll or just pure what are you talking about because it's like yeah. SNL where he tries to train the dog and he right. talks about like Oh no no! You get up on the couch. You've had a long day. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and I and and that's what I do. Like I'll come. I'll leave the room for ten minutes, and then the little the littlest dog will jump up on the couch. And I'll and sometimes I'm like, no, Cooper, like jump down, and no big deal. And then there's other times that I'm like, no, I feel like being a little bit of an ass today. So I'm like, no, Cooper, you had a long day. I mean, chasing your <laughs> like, you know, getting fed treats. No, no, you sit down. And then it just looks at you like, okay, don't have to do this. I can get up. So we've just proved to all your audience that we're a couple of crazy dog people <laughs> and we completely shut out anybody who doesn't have a dog right now, Brian. It, absolutely. And the thing that I, I, before we tie it up with the dog is like, um, when I see pictures of your dog, cause you have it on Instagram. Yeah. I used to have a dog similar to that. Um, now he's passed away 10 years, but when I looked at the dog, I was like, geez, that reminds me a lot of my dog. So it's kind of funny when you see certain pictures of animals or like cats, dogs, whatever. And it kind of brings you back of like, Oh geez. Like even though that they're different and they have different meanings to the owner, it kind of brings back another memory to you of, Geez, I remember having a dog like that. So right, it's it's. Well, it's, our, my dog is a is a mini golden doodle. Okay. And um, it's a her now. Her name is Sydney, and her name is Sydney after Sydney Crosby. <laughs> and you're like, why would you call your female dog a male name? We knew we wanted to name the dog after something to do with hockey, and Sydney has one of the only names that really works for girls and guys, right? Like we couldn't call her we couldn't call her Drysidle. We couldn't call her. <laughs> We couldn't call her Mitch. We couldn't call her Marner. We couldn't call her Gretzky. You know what I mean? Like none of those really works, but Sydney stuck. That's, yeah, that's, that's a fair point. I was going to be like, if it's a rough and tough dog, it takes like, it's very serious. You could have called it Haley for Haley. Would yes, exactly. <laughs> Haley would have been good. Yeah. Haley would have been good. Yeah. Haley, Cassie, Marie, any of those would have been good. I want to talk a little bit about now how you got into sports. Like, where did your interest come from? Like, were you watching sports when you were younger? I know you have a, a brother. Was he involved in sports and kind of dragged you along the way? No, my, my influence came strictly from my dad. My dad was a really good athlete and the kind of guy who just played every sport and he played him well, you know, he still played hockey well into his 50s and 60s. And he was a baseball player and, and a runner and a very good tennis player and table tennis player and all these sports. He introduced me to different sports. He taught me how to play different sports and and encouraged me. And so as a kid, you know, just growing up in a small town in Ontario, I played every sport I could get my hands on. And then I started watching sports on TV. I used to be a huge fan of the Chicago Bulls in the Michael Jordan years. Now, my dad was a Detroit Tigers fan because we grew up in London. So that's only, you know, a little less than two hours from Detroit. So he'd take me to Tigers games when, when me and my brother were kids. And I remember he took me to my first NBA game. He went and saw the Pistons when I was in grade nine. So he was really my influence. And he's, you know, he's the one who just, he allowed me to be a part of a team and it wasn't until much later I realized how much I love being a part of a team and and how much being playing sports influenced me as far as 
as my personality and leadership and all those things that I think are great for sports and kids. And I've always kind of been sort of sensitive. I don't know if sensitive is the right word, but to the fact that I didn't ever play, play, play sports at a high level. I know some of my colleagues are, are Olympic gold medalists or, or, you know, they played, you know, junior, junior A hockey, or they played some sort of high level university sport. And I wasn't good enough to do that. <laughs> you know, I just, I had all the enthusiasm, but I didn't have all of the skill, I guess I would say. So I've always been sort of wary about talking too much about my athletic endeavors because they're no better than any other kid who played high school basketball. But I don't, I, you know, I've, I've realized over the years that you don't have to be the greatest athlete in the world to love sports as, ne- as much as the next person. And you learn a lot from sitting on the bench. You know, some of the some of the greatest coaches in the world weren't the greatest players, but they still have a mind for the game. I think that you sometimes only get as a secondary player or as somebody who watches the great ones play all the time and can see a game or, or a play uh, develop and unfold. So so that was my that was sort of my childhood in sports. And I, I remember watching Hannah Storm. Uh, she used to host the NBA on NBC when I was young and I loved hoops and she just was sort of that person where it was like, if you can see it, you can be it. Right. And she, she was up there hosting a basketball, a national basketball broadcast with the guys talking hoops. And it, I never questioned her. I never thought that that was unusual. I never thought, what is, does she know her stuff? I just knew I wanted to be like that. I wanted to have that job. When you're watching women in sports or, you know, you're looking saying, well, if she can do it, I can do it. It's kind of funny in a way. And I think when you look back at it, maybe you're humble about it. I probably wouldn't be as humble. I think it's like Natasha, Kate, um, Mm -hmm. they were the first two females that did like co-hosted a sports center. Like I'm in university at that point. And I was just thinking like, and and no disregard or offense to them, but I was like, okay, big deal. Like, this is normal. Like, it's not like I get mm-hmm. that you're celebrating it, but I think that's the kind of approach that in a way you should see it as like, okay, cool. Like they're yeah. like, great. Like, yeah, it's two females hosting sports. there. like, that's normal to me. It, Cause I've seen them all the right. time. And you know, now when you see Lindsay Hamilton on, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I believe we, cause I've, I've interviewed a few TSM personalities and I believe it's like, there's, I think one of them said there's like more women anchors almost than men at this point. And right. I was like, well, yeah, like I wouldn't even think about it. And it still doesn't mm-hmm. bother me at any point. I'm like, that's great for, for those that are involved, but it does speak volumes. I think to you, especially when you have someone like a Natasha or a Kate saying, yeah, my biggest issue of getting into TSN or my biggest kind of mind blowing moment is watching Hedger, watching Holly Horton and right you know, that's how they got into it. So in a way, it's like a bit of a trailblazer because I believe when you went off on maternity leave, Kate Burness came in for you. But I feel like Kate Burness probably had like a star-studded moment if she's seen you at that time. It's like, oh my God, this is a person that I looked up to and now I'm replacing her. Right, for a point right. Of time. So yeah, it's, um, you know, there's there's a lot in, in this and I, and I, I would say, I guess it, it can be a double, it's a double-edged sword, the whole, you know, celebrating and constantly recognizing when all these different sort of glass ceilings are broken. And, yeah. and in, in some respects, you know, I've, I've been on the desk since 2002. So this is, you know, 18 years I've been hosting Sports Center. And I remember the days when 
even if we had two female anchors on the roster at Sports Center, we would never host a show together. Like you just, it was always, it would be me and one of the male anchors yeah. or, you know, if Holly Horton was working at that time or Lisa Hillary was on our air at that time, you know, they would all be with a male anchor, but you would never have the two of us on together. And at the time, it didn't even really bother me. I got to tell you, it was just the way it was. You know, yeah. it was, it sort of bothered me if I needed a day off or, or, or one of the guys needed a day off and they're like, well, Hedge can fill in. Oh, but she's working with Hillary. Oh, we can't have two girls on the desk at the same time. It just seems sort of a nuisance, but it's just the way that it was. And I don't remember it making me feel angry. I just remember thinking, well, that's silly. So we've come a long way. You know, we have come a long way so far in that sometimes when you know I, I I see the celebration of oh we have a an all-female crew tonight two female anchors and the director's female and the producer's female and and the camera tech is female and and this is you know this happens all the time now yeah and I celebrate the fact that there's a lot of amazing women in this business who are doing a great job who don't get celebrated. You know, you don't know who produces Sports Center every night. Yeah. You don't know who the AP is. You don't know who who cut the highlight pack. And and the fact that they're all women, I think, is cool. But I think it's also just shows how much I think women have persevered in this business and just kept going so that it's not it's not such a big deal anymore. I mean, I know uh, Becky Hammond, who is an assistant coach with the San Antonio Spurs, who works under Greg Popovich. She ended up filling him for him the other night because he got tossed. And so she is the first woman to ever coach an NBA basketball game. That was awesome. Popovich was kind of like, it's not really something I'm interested in talking about because she's yeah. just the best coach we have right now. Like it's doesn't, the fact that she's a woman, I think is, is maybe one of the least, interesting yeah. things about about Becky Hammond so you know I I get I get that sense and I feel like I, I understand where Popovich is coming from in that he just respects her as a basketball coach and and I I've you know said this for years that I don't I don't just want to be someone's favorite female sports broadcaster I'd just like to be someone's favorite sports broadcaster there yeah. doesn't have to be two buckets for for the men and for the women. So we've come a long way. We're making strides here, not only in just being hosts on Sports Center, but in coaching and being the general manager of, of a baseball team. And the Wickenheisers of the world have, have paved this way too, both in, you know, as being a player, but now, you know, her working for a team and the Cami Granados of the world are scouts and that. And, and, you know, we've come a long way. And I, and I'm, if I was a small part of that, then awesome but there was a lot of women before me that let me know that there was a place for me at the table as well when you mentioned about the unkind of sung heroes that we don't see the ones yeah. that are cutting the clips you know producing shows like it's funny to me because i i think you shared it now you were sharing a clip of way back when they were doing i think it was like the super bowl and it was like she had to go up on top of she wasn't even allowed into the press box oh yes the and woman that 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 passed away recently yes yeah and so like i i was looking at that and i'm like okay so think about it back then to where we are now where mm -hmm. we're watching an overdrive you you know and i know it's the relationship with mclennan as well or noodles but it's like they'll they'll constantly shout out to about steph or like producer yeah. steph and i'm like yeah, yeah. it doesn't even make like to me there are probably still other people out there like how dare she blah 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 but i'm just yeah. thinking like great like I'm not like dismissing it, but I'm just like, yeah, why can't she be the producer? Like that's yeah, yeah. me. 
the fun thing about Steph too, I, I don't know if you know this, you know that Steph and Jamie are husband and wife. Oh right? yeah, of course. Because yeah, okay. Jamie okay, always mentions he, it at some point. <laughs> yeah, he calls her he calls her Marge Simpson, right? Like she's yeah. always laying on the couch eating bonbons, like as if that's really the case. But and that's subverting it again, right? Because I think the the cool thing with Overdrive is they actually complain about Steph, like she's yeah. your stereotypical <laughs> 60s housewife. You know, she doesn't do anything when the, the the comedy of course is that she's the boss <laughs> behind yeah, sure. all of it the whole machine works because of stuff so and that's why overdrive is great because they can make fun of things and they joke like the way that you joke with your friends but everybody understands they're not being insensitive they actually just are insensitive <laughs> <That's> <laughs> just, <laughs> and i was i was gonna say about the whole um you know, the, the women and men working environment and being one of the few women, uh, you know, at first. And I mean, when in, in our newsroom, our newsroom is a lot different right now because of COVID. But, you know, a year ago, there would be, you know, maybe a dozen women in the newsroom and, and 80 guys. You know, it's still it's still a pretty heavily heavy percentage of men. And um, I love working with men. I like working with guys because they usually just tell you what they think. Yeah. They're not very good at candy coating things, but they're really good at, they'll tell you something. You might even argue about it, but 10 seconds later, it's forgotten. Yeah. And that is one dynamic of working with men that I love. I think when you work sometimes, or when you're with women, women hang on to things longer. And I had to realize working with men that they might say something to me and I might snap back and we might have words, but Dutch isn't going to hang on to it. Dutch has moved on. I was gonna. Me, I was just actually gonna bring up Darren. Or, yeah, for me, I'm like dragging it around. Is he mad at me? Are we having an issue right now? What's the show gonna be like? And he's forgotten we even had words. <laughs> so, working alongside men, I think, has it's given me a thicker skin, but it's also made me realize: don't hang on to stuff. Just yeah. let it go. Go on to the next thing. And I've. I appreciated learning uh, how men think. And in some ways, I think that it's, they look at the world a different way. And I, and I can appreciate that. Not that I want to be one of them, but I, yeah. I certainly appreciate their ability to, to move along where sometimes I think as women, we, we tend to hang on to things. I, I feel like now I haven't, I haven't really been into a, a TSN headquarters in like quite some time, but I feel like if you ever had like meet and greets with some of these people, like Darren Dutch, as you call him, would be to me, yeah. like I, I I'm kind of a humorous guy. So sometimes it's like, I'll make a joke and I'm like, okay, he'll laugh at that. But then it's like one of these jokes that might be like a little bit pinch on him. I'm like afraid yeah. he'll like lift me up above his shoulders and throw me. Yeah. I'm like, no, he would <laughs> just, he would take, he would take whatever your little dig was and yeah. he would be able to do some sort of mental gymnastics where he would turn it around quickly and dig you twice as hard. And it would be really fun. When you were mentioning, of course, that you've been at sports center now since 2002, like when you mm -hmm. look back, cause I know it's been quite the journey to get there, you know, just doing a little bit of bio kind of search here as well. Um, like you've been on OTR a few times before you were on Sports mm -hmm. Center. You were on like, I believe it was like a reality TV show in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Lofters. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Cause to me, that sounds like just reading the premise. I'm like, how does this, how does this work? What was yeah. the behind this? Well, it was pretty groundbreaking at the time. It was back in 2001. So that was the days of like, there had been one cycle of Survivor, 
uh, one cycle of Big Brother and now reality TV was coming to Canada. So there was an open audition for eight people, eight young people to live in a Toronto loft. And the idea was you were going to be on camera 24-7. So cameras in the loft that were being live streamed to the internet. We know we were allowed to leave. It wasn't like Big Brother where you can't go anywhere. We were allowed to leave, but cameras would follow. And um, there was a half an hour show on cable TV on the Life Network, I believe it was. I think it was every night or every couple nights of the week to sort of follow the storylines of us 20-somethings who have come together and lived in this loft. Now, the other angle of it, which is what I was interested in, was that we were also hosting shows on the as we called it back then on the web like webisodes so <laughs> we would host to show over relationships and do a news show and there was a film show and so we would it was really kind of a crash course in being able to host television that had commercial breaks and was live and some of it but most of it was just going to the web as we called it back then which I just think is hilarious we called it the World Wide web but that was what I did for a year so there was a show on television every night that was kind of a show regarding my life living in this loft. I was hosting shows on the internet and um, becoming something of a personality. And that's when I contacted Off the Record and was like, hey, I want to be a guest on your show. And so I was a guest on the show and Michael kept having me back because I knew my sports and they just, you know, liked me as a guest. So that's sort of how that came about my stepping stone into TSN. It's a very unusual one, that's for sure. But it gave me a lot of a real world, world experience as far as hosting live TV. And, and it opened some doors for me. Now, when you from going on OTR, like when you first get your gig with SportsCenter and yeah. you do your first kind of you're hired, you're there, you're now doing like anchoring roles. When you run into Landsberg at any point, does he like kind of be like, oh, you made it? Or is it kind of like, <laughs> oh, wow, like you you got here now. It's like, is, is there any kind of interaction of like, oh, my God, you were just a guest on our show and now you're actually working here? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's I mean, I still talk to Michael quite regularly now. I mean, he hosts the morning show, but he I, you know, I credit him with getting me getting my foot in the door. You know, he was very instrumental in and helping me at the beginning, helping me with auditions, encouraging me, because it's not just as easy as, hey, Michael Landsberg said you should hire this girl, and they did. <laughs> you know, like, it was auditions and and keeping, you know, just encouraging me, I guess. And then once my career started taking off, it wasn't really conversations like that. I, I just have always been very effusive in my praise of Michael. And, and for anybody who's followed his career, He's the guy that everybody likes to crap on, right? Like, especially in Off the Record, it's like, oh, that guy's, that guy's got a big ego. What a jerk that guy is. And, and he knows that that was his yeah, persona. Yeah. And, um, you know, it couldn't be further from the truth. He is, he is so generous and so kind and such a great broadcaster and has always been instrumental in, in helping me along the way. And we, we face a similar battle. He's been very outspoken with his his issues with mental health and depression and I fight the same struggles. I have depression and, and anxiety and he's helped me. And, uh, and I've actually started doing some speaking engagements with him to try and help other people who battle this illness to let them know that they're not alone. So it's interesting, you know, like 20 years ago, uh, Michael Landsberg was just a guy I used to watch on TV and think, wow, that guy's got a great job. And 20 years later, I, I really feel like my career 
my life, you know, trajectory has really been intertwined with Michael's. Um, and we barely ever see each other in person, but he has been sort of with me every, every step of the way as far as my career and battle with mental illness. It's, it's kind of interesting in, this, in that aspect when you look back at when you're talking about your relationship there with Landsberg, because we've actually had him on the, on the show, I believe, in an earlier, like way early in the episodes. And we did like a two-part, one where we talked about OTR and one about mental health. And mm-hmm. it is a touchy subject sometimes to bring up about depression and suicide. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned to him, mm-hmm. like, I said, like, no offense, but at this time when you're going through depression, did you ever think that suicide was going to be? And I was like, he's going to like turn off the phone. He's going to tell me. No, no. Yeah. And he was like, the first thing that came out of his mouth was like, why are you so sensitive about this topic? And then that made me more, not like mad, but more like, like I'm not sensitive. I was just trying to be nice to you about it. <laughs> and then, uh, and then he, he just went into the whole spiel about it. And I was like, okay, so yeah, sometimes when you're looking at OTR and you're thinking like, this guy's kind of like maybe an ass or sometimes mm-hmm. just a hard head. I'm like, but when you get into this kind of field, sometimes you're like, no, I would do the same thing. Like I would ask that the same way. Uh, yeah. It would be the same approach to it. But yeah, like we had a good interview with him about even some of the interviews where they walk off on him. And I'm like, how do you handle that? He's like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm like, really? Really? You didn't do anything wrong? He's like, well, no, like I had to ask this question. I'm like, okay, fair point. So if there's anyone that you're kind of going to go to for, I guess, advice or mm-hmm. good interviews, bad interviews, yeah, Landsberg would be on my top 10. But I actually didn't know, which again, it's not basic knowledge for us to know anyway, that you were going through depression at this time. Like you, there are people out there that would argue like, geez, why, why is she going through depression? Like she's got a great job. She's got a family. Yeah. It's great. And that's on the outside. But I'm, I, if you don't mind me asking, like, I don't, what, what kind of brought on like depression for you or like, how do you deal with it just for people mm-hmm. who may be in the same boat? Yeah. Well, it's the, uh... It's all those things that you just said about, yeah, oh, she's got a great job. She's got a great family. Um, her life's amazing. What does she have to be depressed about? That's the same question. The same things have gone through my head, you know, and I think that yeah. those things go through everybody's head with depression. You look at your life and you're like, well, what do I have to be to be sad about? But it's not a choice. You know, it, it is an illness. It is a mental illness. It, it's a, it affects your brain. You know, it is a it is a brain issue. And um, it's something that I've dealt with since university. I was first diagnosed uh, in university with, as you know, back then, 22 years ago, they called it clinical depression. It's a long road. And again, 22 years ago, I remember going to see doctors and, and they kept asking me about my childhood and thinking there must have been some awful, awful experience in my childhood that has caused me to feel this way. And, and of course, there wasn't. You know, I had a great childhood. I, had a, I have a great family and everything should be great. And it doesn't, depression doesn't decide you know, who, who they're going to, who it's going to come and live, whose head they're going to come and live inside. You can have the greatest life in the world and, and still suffer from depression. So for me, I am on medication. I take medication to help me. The pandemic has been terrible, as you can imagine, for people who have, who have excellent mental health. They're, they're struggling. So people who, who suffer from mental illness are going through terrible times right now. And, and I'm not Uh, excluded from that so we got to do it what we know works you know I take my medication 
I try and take my dog out for long walks. I go for runs. But the one thing that depression does is it, it totally saps your self-confidence. It is, as Michael will tell you, it is the inability to feel joy. So all of the things that you do that you know are going to make you feel good, like eating a nice dinner or going out, doing something with your family or drinking alcohol or whatever it is, all those things that, that you know should make you feel good, they don't make you feel good. They make you feel nothing. And it's a, it's a terrible feeling to not be able to feel good, to not be able to feel that joy. And then add on top of that, you know, the self-loathing and the no, no confidence and you don't think you can do your job properly. And then you have anxiety about, about going into work at night and it just goes on top and on top and on top. And anybody who suffers from depression or anxiety or both, I think is probably shaking their head right now going, yep, yep, that's how it is. And anybody who doesn't suffer listens to it and goes, well, just snap out of it. Give your head a shake. What do you have to be self-loathing about you're great at your job you know you, you can do it like why why would you can't why would you possibly second guess yourself but those are the tricks that my head plays on me and and it can be exhausting trying to convince yourself every day that that you can do it so that's where we are and I think with this pandemic some people have started to feel that sense of foreboding and that that feeling of impending doom that a lot of people with depression feel all the time I think healthy people are starting to feel it now and those people that have started feeling like that, I kind of say to them, yeah, yeah, it's a familiar feeling, guys. I know how it feels. I felt like that before the pandemic. I just like to say to people that you'd, you never know what someone's going through, whether it's mental illness or, or a physical illness or someone's dad just lost their job or their kids. You know, there's people are going through things all the time. And uh, I think right now with social media, that people are quick to condemn others or to cancel other people or to criticize someone for doing something. And I think we need to step back a little bit on that because nobody's perfect. And I really do believe, and I try and remind myself, we're all just trying to do our best right now. You're trying to do your best. I'm trying to do my best. We need to be a little kinder to each other. Well, to, to go off your story, and I don't mean to make light of it, but like yeah. for, for, for me, I, I'll make light of my own situation with it, but I know when I was going, dealing with university, so I went like to Carleton, and once I was done Carleton and did this, the radio program at Algonquin, like I had a degree, a diploma, and then like another diploma, and I was like, okay, I'm ready for the workforce. Applying to jobs, wasn't getting anywhere, and I, I was like always against going on, I think it's like ODSP, like Ontario Disability. Because mm -hmm. uh, I was just like, no, like I want to prove that I can get a job. And then when I went out on Ontario Disability, I was kind of like, okay, like they give you so much a month. And, but like, it was like, geez, I really don't want to be taking your money because in my mind, I'm like, there are other people out there that maybe can't get an education that need this money. Mm -hmm. So I always felt like it was like a little bit of a burden. I remember it was like one night and then like, this is the, the stuff that I'm okay if someone laughs at it because to me, it's funny in hindsight, but I was sitting there one night and I wanted to order a pizza and I looked and I knew I had enough money in my account, but at the same point, I was just still like, do I really have enough for like a $30 pizza? Which yeah, I, <laughs> I did. but it was just, to me, it was like, I can't even afford a pizza. That was like what was going through my mind. Cause it was like, right. just that I was almost at that point. And I was like, this is sad. I'm educated. I'm applying, but I'm getting nowhere. Right. And I, I look back at it now and I'm like, here you are in a room crying over pizza. That's like a meme. That's like people making memes about that. Of like, <laughs> like, 
they didn't put pineapple on my pizza. I'm so, yeah. so, so sad. But like, I look back at it now and I'm like, if someone came to me and said, Brian, it was so bad. I cried over pizza last night. And then there'd be people mm-hmm. like laughing. I'd be like, no, no, that person wasn't crying over pizza. There was a reason that yeah. they crying. It's not about the pizza. It's not that about was the just pizza. their breaking point. <laughs> yeah, it's not about the pizza. Exactly. And I, I feel that all the time, Brian, whether it's, little things little triggers that might set me off and I got to remind myself it's not about the dish on the sink yeah it's not you know it's not about the dog there's a whole other bunch of stuff going on so yeah I get you on that when you went into your first broadcast of Mm -hmm. sports center like I know you team up with Dutch a lot Mm -hmm. uh, but like what was going through your do you remember your first sports cast like who you were with and like you know your nerves at that point yeah, I think, man, I think I was, I think I was hosting with Gino Retta, I think, but it might have been with Blake. Yeah, with Gino. It was either Gino or it could have been Blake Price, who is in Vancouver now. He works for us, the radio station, TSN Radio in Vancouver. Oh, I remember being intensely nervous, excited. You know, this was what I wanted. I remember, and I haven't seen a, any tape of it. I've never seen any tape of it, but it's got to exist out there. And if I saw it, I would be like, oh my God, what were you thinking? I remember I wore my hair up in a bun <laughs> because I thought that that would look more credible, right? To have like the librarian hair in the bun look. And I had a terrible like blazer, shoulder pads, like a, like just the most ridiculous sort of Hillary Clinton pantsuit. Because I thought that's what I should wear as an as a sports anchor, right? There, yeah. were, there weren't a lot of women out there to show me the way. And we were all sort of just wearing the female version of what a man would wear up there. Yeah. I remember my outfit being ridiculous, hair ridiculous. And I just remember being supremely nervous and trying not to screw up the whole time, but also feeling complete euphoria. Like I was so excited. The red light went on and the adrenaline was pumping through my veins and I just wanted to do it all over again. Like as soon as it was done, it was like, oh, it wasn't great. It wasn't horrible, but I can't wait to get another shot at it. And, and we still do that every night. I mean, I think I have certainly have a lot, a lot less nerves now. I don't get nervous going up to do the show with Dutch. But every night we go up and the red light goes on, I still get excited to do a live sports center broadcast and every night whether it's a good show an okay show if we made a mistake i always know we're going to get another crack at it tomorrow night well and that's i like like the moments that's not as exciting to you or the moments that's not as uh i guess the adrenaline running that's when you know it's like it's time to go or time to switch but (laughs) yeah i guess so right i I laugh at it (laughs) in terms of everyone starts off with a first or like mm-hmm. a, a bad night per se. Like, yeah, when you look at a James Duffy, uh, a Hedger, a Jay and Dan, like as much as you look at them and sometimes with Jay and Dan, like I give them credit for being kind of goofy, but still give yeah. you the news like that to me, that's how I got into sports is watching them. And like, I got into sports originally because I was looking at James Duffy. I'm like, geez, he's, he gets a quick wit but mm-hmm. he's able to give you the content. And then you turn mm-hmm. it over on Jay and Dan. At this time, they were like hosting SportsCenter at like 12 or so at night. So we yep, yep. And here they are like Bobrovsky. And I was just like, yep. wait a second. They're allowed to say that and they're getting paid to kind of be goofy, but at the same yeah. time giving you like what you want. So it's like, that's cool. But 
you know, first going off where, whether it's at a CTV in Edmonton or wherever they started, they weren't that to begin with. They had to get, nope. there, to get there. So do you recall, like, I guess your first kind of, I'm not going to call it the come to Jesus moment, but like <laughs> your first like kind of experience where you're like, oh, like I messed that one up, but I know I'm going to get a rebound. Um, I think I, I think it happens almost on a nightly basis to tell you the <laughs> truth. Like it's one of the one of the hallmarks of live TV, right? Is that the stakes are high because you don't get to do a do over. Yeah. Um, and that's what that's what is exciting about it. I think when you're talking about Jay and Dan and Duffy and those guys, you know, they are so good at it. And because, as they say, the great ones make it look easy. It is so hard to look like you're not trying yeah. on there because those guys try, you know, and and it's it's so hard when someone says, oh, you, you look like you're just winging it up there. Well, thank you, yeah. because and, and when someone says, well, you guys really look like you're having fun up there. Thank you. We are having yeah. fun, <laughs> but it takes a lot of hard work and preparation to get to the point where you can give people the facts that they need, but also entertain them at the same time and, and not go overboard where all of a sudden, you know, we're a couple sportscasters trying to do a comedy show and that doesn't work either. You know, people can tell when you're forcing it. So I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's a lot of preparation. I find that my best shows or my best experiences are the ones where I've prepared the crap out of it. And, uh, and I'm confident that nothing's going to come my way that I, that I can't talk my way out of. But, you know, there's, I mean, even when you're talking about the, the interest level, like during the pandemic, when we came back on air and there was no sports to talk about, we we're basically making up a half an hour of TV, you know, like we're, there's no highlights to sink your teeth into. There's no great stories. It was the same thing. It was, there's no sports. We don't know when sports is coming back. And this is what happened five years ago today. Uh, LeBron James did what have you. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, what, what is the point right now? Like, why yeah. are we, why are we doing this? Why am I spending half an hour in my living room hosting the show and hours of preparation leading up to that? And all these other people spread across Ontario or in their living rooms, putting this show up, like what, what are we doing? And I remembered and it came to, and I realized it in my own routine in that I would watch overdrive every day. And those guys were doing overdrive from their basements, talking about sports that weren't going on. But it was an anchor to my day. Yeah. And it was normalcy. It was part of my routine from pre-COVID that I always looked forward to. And during COVID, it was still the same three guys talking about nothing and everything at the same time. And it made me feel connected. And I kind of felt the same way with Sports Center that people are tuning in to a live Sports Center or to a, a fresh Sports Center once a day at six o'clock for a little normalcy. And we were bringing that back into people's living rooms and it slowly started to become more newsy. We slowly had more information about when things are coming back. Then the soccer came back. We had some highlights. And then we slowly, you know, we, we morphed back into the show that you see today. For a while there, I didn't know our purpose, and then, and then it became clear. And um, and I think that's what sports does, right? And when we talk about you know sports being a diversion or a distraction, you know this year more than anything, the two worlds collided with with the pandemic and with Black Lives Matter and and social injustice and 
I'll go back even further to when the humble Broncos bus crash happened. And all of a sudden as sports broadcasters, we all were plunged into this world of complete misery and, and death and all that stuff that you don't watch sports for was led the sports cast every night sports, you know, it not only, is a diversion for everyone, but I think it also holds the mirror up sometimes. And that's definitely happening right now. And I, I think that's interesting because I actually remember, you know, you remember where you are like, or where you were too when certain moments happened. And I remember that the humble Broncos won, like as soon as that sports center started and they had like the different type of music and like you were getting more and more information. I was like, yeah. Okay. Like at least, you know, there's a part of you is like, okay, they're bringing light to it. But I was very, and I'm not even from the area at all. I don't think I've ever visited the area, but I was kind of, I guess in a good feel good story moment, if you're going to look at anything like the, again, looking at some of the positives that kind of came out of it was when they did come back and do the games, you know, you had different personalities that came to broadcast the games, like TSM personalities. I think when, Mm -hmm. I think there was a few sports center uh, or yeah, sports center ones and sports net, like there was a, a, a wide variety i'm like okay if anything at this point this is what this community needs it's just well, i think the reason you don't have to have been there to to feel connected to it and i think that was the the thing with the broncos whether you live in newfoundland and labrador or bc or anywhere we all we all have small towns around us yeah and we all remember small town hockey players we all grew up sort of with with a humble broncos team at least a hundred kilometers around us somewhere, you know? So I think that you don't have to have been to Saskatchewan to feel uh, deeply about what that community lost. And I think that's probably what brought everyone together in that moment. And, and again, as broadcasters, that was a tough one. You know, it's uh, that was a, uh, that was, a, that was awful. There's no other way to, to describe it, but it was a story that needed to be told. Just to kind of clue it up here, with all these years that you've been at TSN, like what has been the highlight for you or like even a funny moment for you? Yeah. Well, the highlight for me definitely was being able to host the uh, Vancouver Whistler Olympic games, being in Whistler in 2010 and it being the host country. And I got to do the interview with Monty, John Montgomery after he won the gold medal there and, and had the beer through the, through the Whistler stroll. Like that was, that was for sure my career highlight so far in that it was just just a magical night and being able to be a part of the broadcast and being able to be a part of a broadcast team hosting an Olympic Games. That was awesome. But there's been there's been lots of moments. There's, you know, Dutch and I used to be able to take Sports Center across the country and we visited your fair province. We, we were we were in Newfoundland and and every province in between and being able to do sports center in small communities and actually like meet the people who watch our show meet the kids meet the young girls who are like I watch you every night and like that that was awesome and being able to see our country see meet the people see the people appreciate our land has been incredible I got to host the women's world cup as well right like being able to host an international women's tournament, soccer, which wasn't a sport that I can say that was one of my favorites heading into it. But after following that tournament and hosting that tournament, I love the women's game. And just all the people I've been able to meet in between, you know, like I've, I work with a great crew, you know, you, you mentioned Kate and Natasha and Dutch, but we've got, we've got an awesome group. I got to host the, the 2012 Olympics alongside James Duffy, like come on. 
I got, I got to sit beside him every day and watch how he prepares and how he works and try and be a better broadcaster sitting beside him. I just, I just feel extremely fortunate. And, and everybody always asks me, you know, what's it like? And it is as fun as it looks. It is as awesome as it looks getting to host Sports Center every night. And I do not take it for granted for a second. You know, I really, I've been lucky. I've worked hard. But I do not take any of it for granted because it is it's my dream job. And I remember 10 years ago, people would ask me, you know, well, what do you want to do? You know, you're hosting Sports Center. What do you want to do after this? And I said, this is what I've always wanted to do. I don't, I don't dream of more than this. I want to stay in Canada and I want to continue doing what I'm doing. And, and if the opportunities arise through TSN um, and Sports Center, then I will take them. But I, um, I, I, could not, I could not feel more of a blast in the role that I have. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Jennifer Hedger for coming on to the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying, thanks for listening, and good night. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.